Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz with you getting ready for game number two of this 2020 Penn State season. Ohio State comes to town, the third-ranked Buckeyes, off of a victory over Nebraska in their opener. We're going to learn a lot more about this opponent uh, coming your way a little bit later here on the episode. Patrick Murphy, who covers these Buckeyes as a beat reporter with 24-7 Sports, going to give us the lowdown on the strengths, and there are several of them and the weaknesses as well, where Penn State may be able to exploit some issues for Ohio State. That's coming your way. We've got predictions for this contest coming your way, of course, as well from Sean and myself. But we begin the conversation on this episode, Sean, with some great news on the recruiting trail for Penn State. A big-time name for a while now that we've referenced. Anthony Ivey is on board, and the 2022 recruiting class continues to roll forward with tremendous momentum. It feels like a giant pickup for Penn State with Anthony Ivey. This is a kid that, you know, you, you look at that they offered very early, uh, saw him. It's, it just dominated his sophomore year. They had him in camp before that. And, you know, he's, he's got some things to work on with the academics, but in terms of skill, there aren't too many better out there than, than, uh, Anthony Ivey, especially in state. And I think that's the, when you look at the Jekyll and Hyde of the 2021 and 2022 classes, Penn State, by the way, up to seven commitments in that, in that 2022 class, they have six of them are four stars by the 24 seven towards composite which matches the 2021 class but um yeah it's just a a big early pickup for them because you've got to you know obviously skill players are are a big deal anthony ivy 174 in the composite 104 in the 24 7 sports rankings just uh he's a guy that we you know identified as a top target very early i mean you look at what's in pennsylvania in this cycle and that's a spot they needed to badly needed to get back into and, you know, they, they point him in the, in the right direction. And, and now all of a sudden he's on board. And I mean, I don't know that that brings any pressure to any other wide receivers, but now you've got two receivers in the class with Ivy and Caden Saunders. And I mean, uh, what Saunders was just inside the top 100, Anthony just out, or excuse me, Ivy just outside of the top 100. So offensively, man, I, I know it's taken a little while to get there, but Kirk Shiraka, Taylor Stubblefield have done a good job in sort of, uh, shuffling the deck and getting in, getting in, in order. An offensive boom so far in this cycle. We'll talk about that in a little bit more. We'll talk about the role that peer recruiting played, but just to give folks kind of the rundown on who Anthony Ivey is, listed five foot eleven, 170 pounds on 24-7 sports, uh, considered uh, the number 13 wide receiver nationally, number 104 overall in the evaluation by 24-7 sports, and the number four player in Pennsylvania, as Sean said, uh, four guys on board. All four of them are within the top 12 of Pennsylvania rankings. Uh, Perbula down there at number 12, the quarterback, the three-star, the number 11 dual-threat QB in the country when you look at these rankings. Uh, he's the low man on the totem pole right now uh, in a seven-man class when you evaluate where those ratings are, and that's a really good spot to be 
so far. And Sean, you know, we've, we've told this story a few times, seen Ivy out on the field last year before his sophomore season. Um, and, and I, there's no way he was near 5'11 at that point, I don't think. And he looked like a young kid out there, but he was, you know, in that group with probably four, five, six, at least future power five receivers. Many of them were a year older than him and he held his own. He, he was banged up early in his, in his sophomore year, came through and, and, and had a really explosive campaign when he was available. And thus far, you know, obviously Pen- Pennsylvania, the games haven't really been there to this point, but through his first three games at Mannheim Township, 17 catches, 320 yards and four touchdowns for Ivy. Um, so it continues to roll on, be productive last year. Again, it limited to seven games because of that aforementioned injury, but 22 catches, 582 yards. That's a 26 and a half yard per catch average over the course of the season. So this is an explosive playmaker. Brian Doan has analysis up on 24-7 sports online 24-7 for our VIP subscribers. And I've got something up there, Sean, on the peer recruiting and the just kind of jubilation that followed this commitment. This was one that we were kind of waiting on and it seemed like he was a bit noncommittal about his commitment date for a while there. You heard November, then you heard maybe not, and you can understand why a player who's only a junior would want to postpone things a little bit later and see if visits can pop up and he can explore campuses a bit more. So for Penn State to get this one done, and Brian Doan noted the importance of an online presentation that the that the staff was able to give him, uh, really an all-around presentation on what life will be like as a student-athlete at Penn State for the upcoming years, uh, managed to get the job done. And I think it's a very impressive job by the staff. And you got to give a tip of the cap to Taylor Stubblefield, who uh, has things going in a pretty good direction, a wide receiver recruiting, when that's been a bit of a wasteland for, for Penn State um, of late with some of the key targets that we were focused on so early on in the 2021 cycle. It, it, he's kind of handled it in the 2021 cycle, getting Lonnie White on board. That was a big one to pair him with Liam Clifford. And now in 2022, you really like that tandem. Caden Saunders, a, a major riser in rankings of late. And now Anthony Ivey, both of them are in the top 20 in receiver rankings. To build on a couple things that you say there, um, just the uh, first off, I think Ivy 5'11", 180 is, is more accurate just based off the numbers that we have. And it's been hard to get numbers with with no visits and everything like that. But he's a little bit bigger than than you would expect by just looking at him. He's got that wiry frame, kind of compares to Jahan Dotson in that manner. And he also compares to Dotson, just he's a smooth guy. He's one of those, uh, he's not going to blow you away with speed. He's got very good speed, but he's not going to be that guy that comes out and just runs right by you and gets it done. So, uh, you know, if he continues to, uh, you know, if he could play under a guy like Taylor Stubblefield, that's got the technician uh, reputation, uh, maybe round some of those routes out, could be a really good uh, pass catcher. Um, Taylor Stubblefield, as, as, as you mentioned, has kind of righted the ship with his recruiting. I mean, you, you take a look at the the sort of the, the shots that he took early with uh, Caden Prather going to West Virginia and Jaleel Farouk now committed to Oklahoma and Dante Thornton decommitted from Penn State, never gave him another chance and, and ended up at Oregon. Uh, now, all of a sudden, he's got four commitments and all four of them, I think, uh, are four stars by 24-7 sports. I think Liam Clifford is still a three-star on the composite. Um, Lonnie White is stock way up. Brian Doan, uh, you know, has, has, a has put up an evaluation on him. He was very impressed when he went and saw him play. He's, he's a dude. And then you've got to, of course, Caden Saunders has had a great season. So, um, just 
things are starting to look up. You've got some more guys in that uh, target board in 2022. Andre Green in Virginia is a very big target for Penn State. Makai Flowers, who you know we see as an athlete because because I think he could be a big time safety, is still a guy that's putting up ridiculous numbers at receiver. Um, so they're kind of all over the board at receiver in a good way. Um, you got two on board. You've got many more that are, you know, sort of not on the verge, but, you know, you're, you're sitting in a pretty good spot right now. So I think Penn State's receiver recruiting needed to rebound. And I think it's, it's on, it's, it, I guess it's on that path. I don't know. I wouldn't say it's, it's completely back or anything like that yet, but it's on that path. And if, you know, if Penn State can get things going in the passing game, show some things, I think it could, you know, continue that down that direction. Now, what you said about the presentation, and I, I encourage you to to read Brian Doan's story. It's a free story up on Lions 24-7 uh, about his sort of how this thing came together. He had a phone call, a Zoom presentation with Penn State on Wednesday night. And this is a kid that's told me before he's kind of sick of the recruiting process, doesn't like to do all these types of Zooms. Um, but yeah, he they, they laid out everything for him. This is... I, I, I want to stop short of calling him an academic risk, but he's got work to do in the classroom. Um, but you just kind of lay that out, put out a plan for them. And then by the time that he comes around, cause there's a long time to go in his high school, you know, uh, academic career, you lay out what he needs to do, get him on the right track. And eventually things will sort of take over and, and take care of themselves if you do the right thing. So I think it's been, um, a, a long time coming. We felt Anthony Ivy or Penn State was in the driver's seat for Anthony Ivy for a long time. Uh, November 17th or something, he said his decision date kind of backed off that. Auburn had offered and he wanted to visit, but still always thought that Penn State was the way to go. Um, just, uh, I, I mean, I, I knew he grew up a West Virginia fan, but it, it was a tough thing to, to see him picking West Virginia over Penn State. So this one just came around this week. Now the second receiver in the class and that offensive class has come together. You mentioned uh, Bo Pervula is the, the, the seventh highest, you know, the seven of seven in terms of ranking. If that's your floor right now, that's a pretty good group. And on top of that, these guys seem to be close. They seem to, you know, the, you've got guys in Wisconsin with Jerry Cross and Georgia with Holden Stays, but and all over the place, but really building up from the, the home base in Pennsylvania. And I think it's it, it, it's going very well for James Franklin and company in the 2022 class so far. Folks who follow this stuff on social media can just see from the surface that guys like Jerry Cross, although he still has not been to campus and he's pretty far well removed from Pennsylvania up there in, in Milwaukee, he's active on, on social media. He's engaged. So is Drew Shelton, who climbed on board um, last month. And and, and then also, uh, you know, very clearly, Bo Perbula is not a guy who's out there on social media much. I, I, he's probably got like maybe three tweets in the past two months or something of that nature. But he has been working hard on this commitment since he came on board. And this is a kind of a a, a tandem here, a future tandem for Penn State at QB wide receiver um, with Ivy and with Prabula that has been taking shape for the last couple of years. They are they attend high school about 20 minutes apart from each other. Uh, they have worked out together on, on various fields, and 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 really since Perbula made the decision to commit to Penn State in in midsummer, this has been a priority for him. You heard it from him almost immediately on the podcast when we had him on after he committed, bringing up Anthony Ivy as as that top target for him. And they've had weekly FaceTime sessions, uh, you know, just kind of reiterating 
what made Prabula make the leap to get into the Penn State's class when he did and why he thinks Anthony Ivey would be another component for them. And also Caden Saunders. I mean, Caden Saunders, his mother for that matter, what a, what a peer recruiter he has proven to be with that, uh, that initial pledge back on July 25th. You don't know when, when these classes are coming together through early stages in the first few months. You just see that's a nice piece. That's a nice piece. There's another nice piece. You don't know what kind of role they're going to take in the recruiting world. And in a year where they're not getting together at, at, at campus events and the staff cannot really be proactive in a lot of ways that you'd normally see a staff be proactive, peer recruiting takes precedence and it's vitally important. And early on, been very impressed with that. I, I wrote up a story yesterday, got that up with, with some feedback from Jerry Cross, uh, with from Bro Perbula, and from Caden Saunders. Saunders says he's been selling uh, Anthony Ivey on this dynamic duo concept at wide receiver for quite some time now. And Perbula, the, the case is pretty built in with him being a quarterback and a wide receiver. And Anthony Ivey himself back in May tweeted video of, of Prabula throwing him a, a long ball on, on, uh, out in a training session and said, you know, get used to seeing this in the future. That's going to happen. It's going to happen in State College. And we're still 14 months away from this group being able to put pen to paper and solidifying their college plans. But to come along uh, and, and based on the way we've seen the 2021 class be really a, you know, a lot of stumbling, um, it's way toward the, the signing day. And we don't know if there's going to be any kind of Grand exclam- exclamation point that, that that kind of changes your your opinion on the 2021 class to this point. But the 2022 cycle has been impressive. Number two right now nationally behind only the reigning national champion LSU. Uh, this edition actually edges Ohio State atop the Big Ten leaderboard. A long way to go. I don't think Ohio State's done by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, you know they're trending for another five star. So. There's a long way to go. It's always an arms race, but Penn State really doing their part so far in the cycle. And offensively, six of those seven, it's two top 20 wide receivers. It's two top 10 tight ends. It's Pennsylvania's top offensive lineman, and it's Pennsylvania's top quarterback. I mean, that is quite the nucleus, and they seem ready, willing, and able to go after other top talent. And and I think it's about the makeup of of how this has come together more than uh, the guys that are in it. I mean, you look at Penn State's 2021 class, got slow going early. You know, Dante Thornton was in, Nick Elksness was in, didn't have that sort of support from these other guys. And and the 2022 class seems to be very different. By the way, three 2022 kids supposed to be on campus this weekend or supposed to be in town this weekend. Uh, you can't visit and all that stuff, whatever. Um, but Drew Shelton, Ken Talley, and Caden Saunders set to ma- meet up with uh, with Landon Tangwall in town to watch the game. So a little bit of continuity, camaraderie that have come together for that 2022 class. And I think that'll start to continue. You've got guys, you know, we mentioned Makai Flowers at Steel High. He's been very vocal in that group. Um, you know, you, you try and stay in state and sort of build out from there. Uh, of course, Anai White's the big guy, but, uh, you know, more guys like Keenan Nelson, Nick Singleton was up for a visit a few weeks ago. So it's sort of keep building from the inside out. And if you do that, you know, if your hit rate is high in state, you don't have to hit on as many guys out of state. Now, you still want the top guys, obviously, but, you know, numbers are being what they are. You want to sort of build that base before you go out and expand those those reaches. So um, I'm 
I guess confident. I mean, Penn State's not going to end up with a number two class in the in the 2022 cycle. I mean, other schools will come along and and sort of take off, and you know, the Alabamas and the Clemson, you know, all those big big time uh, programs that always recruit the way that they do. But still, to to be on that start, uh, to be on this path is 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 a great start, especially just the the way that things have gone in the last seven months, or actually probably about four months, um, just with the 2021 cycle not coming together as as once planned. The 2022, I think, can sort of turn around quickly, and that's uh, that's exactly what they needed. This foundation feels different because, to your point, it's not scattered across the country and, and guys that you're just holding to, hoping to hold on to, and that would be really dangerous territory right now uh given the the inability to get to campuses for for visits but you've obviously you've got holden stays down in the atlanta area that's not close in milwaukee where jerry crosses but cross has been very vocal in his uh in his uh you know loyalty to this penn state recruiting class and he's put that out there quite a bit i think what's big here is having that in-state foundation you know you got keaton ellis on board uh to, to start out your 2019 class but he's the local kid he's right here in state college um is he drawing other kids to campus uh, that wasn't really a lot of a situation where a lot of offers were out at this stage in the Pennsylvania class. We know in 2021, never really materialized in the state. Um, you know, it's kind of come together a bit later with some of these pickups. And then, you know, now you've got guys who are saying, Hey, I'm getting to campus this weekend. You know, want to meet me there? You want to ride? You know, Bo Pervula has other guys in his area that he's talked about, uh, working on. He mentioned Anthony Smith as someone, uh, that, that he wanted to continue working on defensive linemen out of Shippensburg. Um, and he's mentioned Nic- Nicholas Singleton to us as well as a guy that, that he's going to continue to talk to. But, um, I, I think there's just, it's different when you've got that foundation. We'll see what Ken Dow, Ken Talley can do in Philadelphia. I think that's important, not just for the 2022 cycle, but moving into 2023 and just, you know, changing the narrative a bit there in Philadelphia. Um, that's just, that's, it just feels different this time, Sean, because it, it's not a lot of, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of loose ends. It seems like you've got a pretty concrete structure in your foundation. And I know that's a dangerous thing to say in the recruiting world this far off from a signing day for a cycle, but it, it, it feels like a lot of this is pretty safe for Penn State barring any major, major staff changes in Happy Valley. I, I would agree with that. And, and you never know. I mean, th- those guys are some of those guys are a long way away. You've got other um, sort of dynamics that at play. But I mean, if you get these guys together, you get them familiar with one another and comfortable with one another. It's a lot harder to step away from from that. And, and that's what we've seen, especially with the 2021 cycle early. And, and I think that I guess when when Penn State was really sort of peaking in the 2021 class and back in what was it April May something like that you had a lot of you had a lot more buzz a lot more uh, I, I don't want to call it social media buzz but you know just a lot of uh, a lot of momentum that you could you could sort of feel out there you're starting to feel that a, a little you know a little more with that 2022 class now and I think they're trying to you know sort of do the same thing that Ohio State's doing Ohio State's going to put together probably one of the best recruiting classes ever in 2022 because they're going to flip uh Quinn Ewers from uh Texas or uh, I guess he's already decommitted um number one quarterback number one prospect in 2022 and and they'll get theirs um so you know you got to focus on getting your own focus on you know maximizing what you can do and sort of kind of take away some of that overlap and you know you you look at the the names that are out there and you know Nick Singleton's probably an Ohio State Penn State battle. There's a couple other guys out there that you know have both teams on their list, but maybe not as as much overlap as you would think, given how close these schools actually are. Well, we made it a ways, but as Sean brings in Ohio State looming large on the field and on the recruiting trail, that's where we turn our attention to. 
now. We're going to speak with Patrick Murphy, who covers the Buckeyes for 24-7 Sports. Uh, following that conversation, it's very detailed. It gives a lot of the ins and outs of what this 2020 Ohio State team looks like comparatively to the one we saw last year that was very dominant. Um, he thinks there's some things that can be exposed. He also believes that there's some new wrinkles involved for Ohio State that could cause issues for opponents over the course of this season. So that's coming your way in a moment. After that, we're back with some keys to the game from Sean and myself, our predictions for this contest, and then we finish it off with a five-star mailbag. Stay with us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. For now, here's Patrick Murphy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We turn our attention to the competition for the weekend, and it is very stiff competition with the Ohio State Buckeyes, ranked third in the nation coming off of a victory over Nebraska, heading to Happy Valley. It's the first time we'll be in Beaver Stadium, and it's the first time we have a chance since 2019 to talk with Patrick Murphy, who covers the Ohio State Buckeyes for 24-7 Sports. Uh, great to have you back on, Patrick. We enjoyed the conversation during the pregame uh, last year. Um, different circumstances this time around, far earlier in the Big Ten schedule. Not that much earlier on the actual calendar, but very clearly two teams coming off of different circumstances in their openers. Yeah, I, I don't know if you could have much different uh, results with with Penn State. Obviously, you know the close one in overtime. Um, you know, outgaining. You know, pretty much every stat I looked at it, it, it seemed to me like Penn State should have won the game, aside from turnovers. Um, I guess, and you know, Ohio State a slow start against Nebraska. You know, Nebraska comes out, scores in four plays after the opening kickoff. You know, Ohio State fans getting nervy all of a sudden. Um, Ohio State's first drive, they do end with a touchdown, but it wasn't a perfect drive. And then once they kind of got going, the, the Buckeyes won comfortably 52 17. Um, but, you know, th there were some things to, to kind of nitpick at, and that certainly has been done this week. But yeah, in terms of overall results, I don't know if, if we've ever had a game between these two where, where you come in um, with, with such different opinions, maybe, or changed opinions with one side as, as much as that Indiana loss affected Penn State. Um, in my mind, still a very good Penn State team. I know guys were asked about the season and whatnot this year, and, and I think there's still plenty to play for for the Nittany Lions, um, especially if they can get this one, which, which would be a big bounce back game. Our audience has heard way too much probably about the Indiana opener. So sure. we'll skip on that end for, from our standpoint. But how about from your standpoint? Were there some surprises from Ohio State in the opener? Some some notable takeaways for you? As you said, this was a 14-14 game uh, midway through the second quarter. Ne Nebraska fans were starting to get uh, all excited on Twitter and getting vocal. And then 38-30 to in the final 34 minutes of this one. And Ohio State put it to bed pretty fast. Yeah, I'd say the biggest things I took away um, on the positive side from an Ohio State perspective was the passing game. Justin Fields looked like the Heisman Trophy candidate that he's been talked about um, all offseason. 20 of 21, his one incompletion was a throw to the back of the end zone that was a little high, and the receiver still had a chance at it, um, just didn't come down with it. You know, it was two, over 270 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran for a touchdown. Um, 
you know, Nebraska did a good job of, of forcing him to run on any sort of read plays and he looked comfortable doing it. Something we didn't see a ton last year because Ohio state was concerned about the depth behind him. So seeing him do that, seeing him take some shots um, and bounce right back up, I'm sure was pleasing for Buckeye fans. Uh, but the way he threw the ball was, was impressive. And, and the way he manipulated a defense, the defense, that was the biggest thing I thought in terms of his, his mental side of the game that was different than a year ago. You know, he's had the arm strength. He knows how to, you know, find a receiver. He's accurate. But there were a few plays where he was really able to, with his eyes, move a safety to, to get someone open or things like that that we didn't see a ton last year. And I think, you know, having the offseason that he did, the quarantining back in Georgia, working with quarterback coaches, Zoom calls with Ryan Day, watching film really helped that side of the game. So that was probably the biggest positive um, offensively. Uh, the running game was was probably the most confusing thing. Obviously, when you're replacing J.K. Dobbins, who rushed for 2,000 yards, Ohio State school record um, from last year, and, and was a third round pick for the Baltimore Ravens, it's it's going to be tough. Um, Master Teague, who was the backup last year, suffered an Achilles injury in the spring and has bounced back pretty miraculously. Started the game, um, and he was very good as a backup last year. But when it came to the big games, the Penn State game last year. Uh, against Michigan, didn't play in the Big Ten Championship game uh, against Wisconsin, and then in the playoff against Clemson, uh, Teague was not at his best. And so there was some concern. Ohio State brought in Trey Sermon, graduate transfer from Oklahoma, who is, uh, if, if Teague is kind of the bowling ball stereotype for running back, Sermon is more like Dobbins and you know can catch passes out of the backfield. In fact, his first career touchdown came against Ohio State in Ohio Stadium when Oklahoma was here, caught a pass out of the backfield. So those are the two guys, and neither looked great in the first game. The offensive line didn't get the push. There were a couple third and shorts that neither running back could get. Now, Sermon ended up rushing for 54 yards, which led Ohio State. Teague got into the end zone twice, so the numbers don't look bad at the end. Ohio State, after the game, players and coaches were very confident that they'd get this figured out. You know, They'd been going against the same type of fronts from Ohio Ohio State's defense all preseason, all fall camp, and that Nebraska just threw some different things at them. And, and this, you know, being an irregular year like this is, there wasn't the you know normal Mac school or whoever you play in the in the first game typically to kind of get ready and, and play against someone else. Um, defensively, I think the way that Ohio State came out was a little surprising. You mentioned fourteen to fourteen um, early on. You know, I said how Nebraska just drove down the field. Uh, four plays, scored the touchdown. You know, this was a defense that we knew was replacing a lot of players, three guys from the defensive line, three players from the secondary, two of those guys from the secondary went in the first round. Obviously, Chase Young was the number two overall pick. So a lot to replace there, but there was confidence among the program that they would be all right in that sense. Um, and they did get it right. They got things figured out and credit to the coaching staff for for adjusting. But the the quarterback run was the biggest thing between Adrian Martinez and Luke McCaffrey, who were both used in the game, um, they were able to kind of run all over Ohio State. So that's something that I'll be interested to see in this game, how Penn State uses Sean Clifford. I know he ran a good amount um, against Indiana and you know what he can do against this defense, how much the defense has figured out things um, when it comes to that department and, and what Penn State kind of schemes up to, to get after them. Yeah, that was a big surprise of, of uh, the opener was Sean Clifford going for, for- – plus 100 yards and having a 35-yard yeah. touchdown run, something we didn't expect, particularly with the transition to Kirk Shiraka. 
Um, you've kind of addressed this in a lot of ways, the, the exit of, of J.K. Dobbins, who was tremendous in the last couple of matchups against Penn State, the, the outgoing star power on defense. But what are some of the other obvious comparisons and contrasts you can make between that 2019 team and the 2020 Buckeyes? I was reminded going over some notes from last year's game that when Penn State ran into Ohio State, you know, third week of November last year, so a lot of football had already been played, they were leading the nation in in points allowed and points scored. I, I forgot how just how dominant that team and kind of how stunned that press box was when it was 21-17 in the fourth quarter. You guys weren't quite used to seeing the Buckeyes in that kind of a matchup. Yeah, it, it was very interesting last year because you know Ryan Day takes over for Urban Meyer. And we were familiar with Ryan Day. He'd been the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach the last few years. And he'd stepped in for three games in 2018 when, when Urban Meyer was suspended. So we, you know, we were familiar, but I don't think anyone expected kind of the dominance that Ohio State had last year. And, you know, obviously the talent plays a huge part in that. Uh, you know, they recruited as well as anyone in the country. Um, and that was kind of a culmination, I think, of, of some very good recruiting classes. And you mentioned some names there. Um, this year, I think, is is going to be very telling for Ryan Day. And not only because of how everything happened this offseason, but year two, he's got a lot to live up to. Um, you know, and, and as we, we just talked about, there are a lot of guys that, that are gone. Now, there's still plenty of talent. You know, Ohio, again, Ohio State has recruited well. But I think that, you know, when, when you look at these two teams, there's not the the surefire guys at as many of position as many of the positions. You know, I mentioned running back. Obviously, Justin Fields, good offensive line. The receiver group is good, um, but defensively, I think you don't have that star, that obvious star defensive end. There are some names: Jonathan Cooper, a fifth-year senior who was a five-star prospect, who's very good, but is, has never quite lived up to the billing. Zach Harrison's a sophomore from just outside of Columbus, who could be that next guy, but you know, most of those guys emerge you know, as the years go on, um, he's having to do it right away. Uh, you know, the defensive tackle position is certainly a question mark. They lost three guys, the three starters from there and replaced them decently. Well, the depth is a question a little bit. Um, Teron Vincent, who was likely to be one of the starters at those two positions is, was hurt last game, um, battled injuries throughout his career, really. And, uh, Haskell Garrett, who actually played in the game was shot in the face, believe right. it or not two months ago um, on an incident on campus and didn't really practice ton played in that game and, and actually kind of jump-started the defense, um, you know, had a sack and then a pressure on, I think Nebraska's fourth drive, third or fourth drive that kind of stalled them a little bit. Um, so, you know, it, it's different guys. The, the secondary is completely different. Sean Wade, who was the slot corner last year has moved to the outside where Jeff Okuda was um, and you know they've lost Jordan Fuller, who's now a starter for the Rams. Damon Arnett, who before he got hurt was starting for the Raiders. Uh, you know, so it's it's new guys, talented guys, but you know figuring it out. And on top of that, new defensive coordinator uh, Kerry Combs, who was here for a while under Urban Meyer, left to go uh, coach at the Tennessee Titans, is now back. He was the cornerbacks coach before. He replaced Jeff Halfley, who kind of shaped this defense last year, and is now the head coach at Boston College. So it's interesting to see how they have stuck with the same defense, but adjusted in with Kerry Combs and kind of a different group of, of players. You know, they want to play this single high safety look that was really, really good for them last year. Um, 
I'm not sure the personnel is quite the same to do it, and I think they may have to adjust. We saw some two, two safety looks in, in the game against Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't throw down field a ton, um, so you, know, you didn't get the secondary tested as much as I think we will this we'll see this weekend. But uh, you know, I think there's certainly some changes that between the 2019 and 2020 teams that you know, while talented, there that that's where I think you can point to like if this doesn't work for Ohio State, if the secondary can't live up to the billing, maybe the Buckeyes aren't as good. And I don't know if we really saw that in in week one, um, just because the way Nebraska plays. Three draft picks off that defense in the top 20 last uh, spring, including number two and number three in yeah. Young and in Okuda. But you said a lot there, a ton of insight. We appreciate it, Patrick. I think one thing that maybe people are going to rewind or say, wait, did I hear that correctly? Haskell Garrett, defensive tackle, took a gunshot yeah. to the face. Uh, yeah. I got to give you s- some some pub here. You wrote a story this week about that and about him coming back only eight weeks later, which is a remarkable story. Um, whether Whether you despise Ohio State or appreciate Ohio State, uh, you you got to really um, you know appreciate what this kid has done, and your story was excellent. That's up on uh, online as well. Um, when we move forward here, you talked about Justin Fields, maybe how he looks a little bit different, more nuanced as a passer in his approach downfield. Second year as Ohio State starter, that receiver group though that that gives him a lot of leeway. That gives him a lot of opportunities downfield, and and I know they have another influx of talent with this 2020 recruiting class. Um, what do you think about that group? And, and if Penn State coming off uh, overall a, a really solid performance in its passing uh, passing defense, despite how the game ended with that final drive in the fourth quarter, do you feel like Penn State versus Ohio State here? It, 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 does anybody have a chance to match up adequately against Ohio State's wide receiver core? I think it's going to be tough, um, and that's not to say that you know, Penn state or anyone else won't do it uh, at some point this season, but given everything that goes into the passing game, the offensive line, a lot of veterans, Justin Fields, as you mentioned, and then this receiving core, you know, you, you lose three guys um, from last year's team, Austin Mack, KJ Hill, Benjamin Victor, all of which have, have had plays um, in this, in this series, this rivalry, whatever you want to call it in recent years. And you replace them Chris Olave, who was the team's top pass catcher last year and, and was obviously very involved. Uh, Garrett Wilson, who was a five-star recruit coming out of high school a year ago, um, played well, especially down the stretch, really started to work his way into the lineup more. He's moved into the slot, which he's, you know, he's not your typical slot corner. He's six foot tall, um, can play on the outside. He's, he's basically, he's their number two corner. And when they ro- have three receivers on the field, he moves to the slot and, we saw against Nebraska that gave that was that was matchup perfect matchup after perfect matchup for Ohio State. I talked about earlier Justin Fields manipulating the safety. Ohio State's first touchdown, I want to say maybe their second, um, was a forty-two yard strike to Wilson. You know he was matched up on on a safety and and, and just shakes him to the you know fakes outside cuts in for for a deep post. And as I said, Justin Fields moves the safety with his eyes. You know, it's, it's, that's going to be a problem. Um, those two. And then beyond that, there's, there's a lot of young guys and we've seen and heard a lot about them. Um, Jackson, or I'm sorry, Julian Fleming, Jackson Smith and Jigba, um, G Scott Jr. And Mookie Cooper, who didn't play, um, in the first game, but those are four freshmen all ranked in the top 16 of our composite in last year's class. Um, you know, those guys are, if, if they're not stars this year, they look like they're going to be stars in the future for Ohio State. Uh, Julian Fleming had a catch in, in the last game. 
Um, played a played a decent amount coming in for Chris Olave. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba had probably the catch of the game in the back of the end zone. Um, originally, it was called uh, an incomplete, but replay, he got his foot down. So you know you you have that, and and there are other guys too. Um, you know that that will work in uh, you know in that receiving core. They're really excited about the freshman um, group. Uh, you know, I didn't even mention, um, sophomore, uh, sorry, blanking on the name here. Um, Jamison Williams, who in a normal Ohio state recruiting class last year would have, uh, he's a sophomore this year would have been, you know, a, a bigger deal aside from Garrett Wilson. He's probably that number three guy, um, in their rotation. So, you know, this, this receiving core is, is dangerous. Brian Hartline has done a great job coaching this group, um, developing, you know, Chris Olave, I, I mentioned a bunch of four and five stars there. Chris Olave was a three-star kid from California that Ohio state only saw because they were scouting his quarterback, um, and, you know, liked what they saw from him. So, um, development has been good and, you know, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see what this passing game can do. It's unfortunate from an Ohio state perspective that you only have eight games. If you play the normal 12, 13 and, and whatever, uh, postseason. I'd be interested to see what the numbers they put up. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a talented group that I think can do a lot of different things and it's just hard. I, you know, it's going to be hard for defenses to shut them all down. I kind of compare it to that group Alabama had a couple of years ago with the guys we're now seeing in the, the NFL, um, obviously a lot to live up to and, and they've got to prove that they're that good, but on paper, at least they seem up, up to that level. Um, you know, as, as we saw with Alabama and, and some of those passing attacks. Olave had the uh, the dagger touchdown in the fourth yeah. quarter last year against the Penn State, the one that put it away. Um, and and as you mentioned, uh, you mentioned a, a freshman there. Every every time Julian Fleming's name gets brought yeah. up on the podcast, I think we lose five subscribers. So that's maybe up to ten or fifteen lost uh, on on this I won't episode. Talk about him <laughs> we'll move on from there. How about? I mean, you're kind of uh, I'm assuming at this point overwhelming the audience a little bit talking about where Ohio State has been able to replenish and the kind of star power that they they can exhibit. Um, can we get into some weaknesses to kind of win win our audience back a little bit? Where are the potential pitfalls for Ohio State if they stumble on the road here in Happy Valley? Where do you think that comes from? Sure, um, I think if if I mentioned the the struggles against the the rushing quarterback last week, I think if Sean Clifford can get that going, um, similar to what Nebraska was able to do, and I think that's possible with with the defensive line, um, you know, kind of I don't want to say troubles, but the you know, new players and, and whatnot. Um, I think that could be very big for Penn State. I also think that, that Penn State should challenge the secondary. You know, as you, you mentioned the, the guys that are gone, um, the, the number of draft picks. We, you know, Sean Wade, I'm pretty confident in as, as the outside cornerback, but the other guys are, are unproven. Um, Seven Banks is the, uh, you know, took the Damon Arnett role um, as the number two corner. Marcus Williamson, who's a senior and is starting for the first time and, and really playing his first substantial minutes is the slot corner. Cameron Brown, who's a young player, is kind of backing him up there. Um, and they do some different things on nickel and whatnot. And then uh, Marcus Hooker, another Pennsylvania guy, the younger brother of Malik Hooker, started at safety, but they rotated Josh Proctor in. None, none of those guys have shown me enough, you know, in limited time as backups to know for sure that that they can handle a quality passing attack. Um, the coaches are confident that, that they will step up. The players say all the right things, but until you see it on the field in game action, 
I think it's it's tough to to know for sure. So if Penn State can hit some downfield passes, um, you know, Ohio State struggled a little bit in tackling early against Nebraska. Now a lot of that came on short stuff that they were able to extend or those those quarterback runs. But um, you know, I think those are some places where Penn State can have some success offensively. Um, defensively, if if you can force Ohio State to run the ball, and again. You know, they've got to prove it. They've got to prove they can do it with, with these two new running backs and an offensive line that didn't look convincing last week. I think if you can, you can, you know, force them to do, do that, force Justin Fields into more runs, the more opportunities you get to put hits on, on the quarterback, obviously the better. Um, you know, I think that, that is, should be part of the game plan. It was clearly what Nebraska wanted to do, take away the, the running back on those read plays. So I think those are some areas where I either have some question marks or I think Penn State can be successful, um, you know, in watching that Indiana game back, I think there's there's definitely opportunities for for Penn State and Pat Fryermuth is a, a matchup nightmare for anyone. I'm not sure who Ohio State puts on him um, to you know kind of handle a, a tight end like that. So you know that passing attack could could cause the Buckeyes some trouble on Saturday night. Fryermuth kind of had his breakout moment at the national level a couple of years ago as a freshman against Penn State, one-handed touchdown catch, and he's obviously going to be a factor for this program. You talk about the wide receivers for Ohio State. I want to talk about the edge rushers for Penn State because despite the loss to Indiana, Shaka Tony and Jason Away, they were on a track meet to meet at Michael Penix over the course of this game and, and highly graded coming off of this when, when you look at uh, kind of the, 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 sc- the scores that come out that don't necessarily reflect the box score. Is that an area that Ohio State is well-equipped? I know the offensive line has all Big Ten talent, some All-American talent there. But do you feel like with Jason Oway um, and, and also with Shaka Tony and, and maybe in a guy like Adiza Isaac with the speed they bring off the edge for Penn State, is that an exploitable possibility for Penn State's defense? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think back to a few years ago at, at Penn State and and uh, the left tackle for Ohio State just getting beat consistently. Um It'll be interesting because Thayer Munford, who is the left tackle now, who's been a starter for the last two years, last year was coming off back surgery and just never looked himself, um, you know, put was second team all Big Ten, but I felt like that was more honorary. I mean, he played fine, but, um, you know, this year he's he's talked this offseason about I'm fully healthy, I'm ready to go, I have a lot to prove. Well, this will be a game where you can prove that um, against the guys you mentioned. And on the other side, Nicholas Petit-Frere, uh, redshirt sophomore who's starting for the first time played a little bit last year you know was a five-star guy um, but has taken time had to put on a lot of weight you know just was just had a smaller frame than than you want from a tackle um, nor- normal high school to, to major college football stuff I think but um, you know he, he hasn't been tested either so yeah I think this may be the biggest test for these guys all year um, in terms of what they're going to face on the edge. I mean, there'll be some other, um, there'll be some other big 10 talent for sure. But yeah, I think, you know, that's going to be key now, you know, I think from a Penn state perspective, you have to be careful with Justin Fields scrambling, right. You know, you don't want to, you want to contain, you know, contain, keep them in the pocket, whatever they say. So, you know, it's, it's always interesting against a running quarterback or a quarterback with the ability to run how much you, you uh you pressure in terms of coming off the edge like that where you don't want to leave a gap that he can then take off and pick up 15 yards so i think it's kind of the the mind games there back and forth with how they scheme it up and and whatnot um but yeah i think these tackles are 
you know, still have a lot to prove in terms of uh, what, what they can do. I do think Thayer Munford is, is a good left tackle. I just think, you know, coming off that back surgery um, last year, he wasn't able to show it, uh, you know, play in and play out. So this again, with, without having a a ton of film, um, you know, I think this will be the first major test. Thank you for that. Uh, That great, great rundown there and very detailed. We appreciate that. And I think you're particularly correct because of the inexperience right now, Penn State's dealing with that linebacker. When Fields hits that second level, are they equipped to deal with it? That's where I'm going to lead it into now is, is there's no Micah Parsons at linebacker. There's no Journey Brown or Noah Kane in the offensive backfield. Meanwhile, Ohio State was able to retain its top talent during that whole opt-in, opt-out phase of this college football year. As the year has progressed and we've learned that there were, we're going to be no fans in Beaver Stadium, the whiteout atmosphere has essentially been eliminated. And, and as I said, the, the star power has dwindled a bit for Penn State. Has the way this game is viewed in Columbus changed? And is there any way that compared to years past, maybe the Buckeyes overlook Penn State a little bit or maybe downplay what they're about to see on Saturday? Yeah, first of all, I want to say that I'm, I'm, I think a lot of people are very disappointed there's no whiteout. I think that's one of the coolest atmospheres in college football and was really looking forward to taking in another one of those. Um, and a few Ohio State players we talked to this week even said, you know, as, as difficult as it makes it on them, that's something that they always find, you know, a, a very cool environment to go into. Um, but to answer your question, I think that's possible. Um, now, I think Ryan Day has this team very focused. Obviously, the whole fight to play this season and and everything that, that could potentially be in front of Ohio State has them focused and motivated and whatnot. Um, so I think they really are taking it game by game and, and being very methodical with their approach. And I think that was a big thing last year that you know obviously worked to get them back to the college football playoff. With that said... I think, you know, you've, you've, they've heard all week about the, the, the guys that aren't there. Um, you know, Noah Kane going down. Literally, the announcement was made while we were talking to Ohio State players. So it kind of came up in, in those interviews. Um, so it's not like they, they were unaware of that. I think everybody was aware of what was happening with Journey Brown when that came out. Micah Parsons is a guy that, you know, some of these Ohio State players know because they were recruited at the same time. You know, obviously, he was an Ohio State recruit as well. I recall the recruitment of Michael yes. Parsons. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so you, from an Ohio state perspective, you would like to think that everybody is, is as dialed in as they would if this were, you know, any other year um, during a Penn state week, but humans are humans. Right. And you know, you, you start to hear that stuff. Okay. Well, you know, they're down to their third string running back and they don't have the star linebacker and you know, the crowd's not going to be there. And you know, th- if you start to take this as just another game, there's still plenty of talent on this Penn state roster. Um, I think coming off a loss like Penn state is you, you can kind of get that wounded animal um, effect where, you know, this, this, you know, I don't want to say a must win game, but you know, this is a big deal for, for Penn state beyond the normal, you know, a, a bounce back on national television, prime time, this, this team, James Franklin can, can kind of show, Hey, last week was, was an upset for sure. But Look, we just we just handled the Buckeyes, um, the number three team in the country. So, yeah, I think that, that there's certainly a possibility that Ohio State, um, you know, takes things lightly. Now, does that reflect the whole game? You know, I, I don't know. I think we've seen Ohio State has the ability to make adjustments and whatnot. So, you know, I think you'll know pretty quickly if if Penn State has come out. Penn State comes out and you know 
takes the game by the scruff and, and Ohio State looks a little lost early on, I think you could probably reflect that or put that on on, on kind of overlooking things a little bit. Um, you know, but we've seen comebacks in this series before. Um, you know, I expect a good game in this one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be very similar to what we've seen in, in the past few years. You and I both had to get to uh, to speak to coaches on our respective beats, but I, I want you to leave us with a score prediction. We're going to give ours here a little bit later in the show. That line has consistently gone up and up. Last I checked, somewhere around two touchdowns in the favor of Ohio State. Uh, last year, I think it was it was even beyond this, which is which reflects exactly where Ohio State was in, in the eyes of many during the 2020 campaign. But do you see this being that kind of separation, uh, a 14-plus a point game? I uh, would love to hear how you see the score settling. Yeah, I think, and I, I wrote this for our uh, game predictions, which will come out, I think, tomorrow. Um, you know, I think this game's close definitely in the first half. I think, you know, the, the adjustments are going to be key either way. Um, I think that Ohio State, you know, we, we, we just detailed has the, has more of the talent returning. Um, and I think that ultimately makes the difference, but, um, you know, I think probably closer than, than people think, at least for the first half. Um, you know, I think there were things, like I said, that, that can be exploited on Ohio state that, that Nebraska showed. And, and obviously now, you know, you, Ohio state has to adjust Penn state has to pick up on certain things and, and apply that to they, their game plan. I said early in the week, 45-20, Ohio State. I'm talking myself down on that score a little bit. I still think Ohio State wins the game. Um, I think ultimately, you know, the the lack of, um, you know, the guys that that didn't come back or have been injured have the ultimate effect. But I do think it's going to be close. I do think it's going to be fun. Um, You know, I may come come down on Ohio State's score a little bit there and and make it a a closer, maybe 35, you know, 30 – you know, some 35, 20, 30, 28, 20, something like that. Um, you know, early in the week, apparently I was a little gung ho on, on the score, but I, I do think Ohio State wins. I think it will be, uh, will be a good affair though. We'll learn soon enough. Uh, another matchup between Ohio State and Penn State coming your way. Patrick, we appreciate it. Sorry because of 2020 circumstances, we won't be crossing paths in the press box this time around, but hope to see you out in Columbus next year. Sounds good. I appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back in for more conversation on this Penn State-Ohio State matchup. Thanks again to Patrick uh, for giving us a, a really comprehensive breakdown on the Buckeyes this year. And Sean, now it's our turn to, to discuss this one. Penn State surprisingly 0-1 entering Week 2, and, and, and Ohio State, no surprise at all, uh, able to, to find another gear against Nebraska and cruise to a victory there. Uh, two programs uh, with with ambitions to get to the college football playoff, and, and it has gone very differently thus far in October We'll start here. Turnovers, penalties, glaring, something that you just can't afford to do in, in most Big Ten games, and specifically here. You cannot give Ohio State any freebies. You can't give them any bonus points. It just can't happen. You can't survive it. Maybe you can afford one turnover, and, and that's a maybe, 
Uh, but th- forget three first half turnovers, forget three turnovers over the course of four quarters. I don't think you can survive that. And penalties, 10 for 100 yards last week. Got to clean that up in a big way. I just start there. Things you can take care of on your own front that you can maybe get a better shot against Ohio State because the Buckeyes bring enough to the field for you to deal with already. I think sometimes it is that simple. You know, it's a, you look at the, the penalties and the turnovers from last week. You just kind of shoot yourself in the foot and get on with it. And luckily you have a shot to win the game at the end against Indiana. You do that against Ohio State, you're going to get blown out. I mean, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you have maybe one turnover here and that's a big maybe. Um, got to protect the football, got to sort of run the football and try and dictate your own tempo and see what you can do. Because I, I think just from watching some of that Ohio State Nebraska game, Nebraska had some success early. Now they, they mixed up their run game a little bit, brought in uh, McCaffrey and, and had some success there with sort of a, a wildcat look. But I think that the, um, uh, the, the main thing here is you've got to get a push up front. You got to get those, you know, just churn out those five, six yard carries, get first downs and, and go from there. And, and I think we talk about how talented Ohio State is and they are, and we talk about all this stuff, but I do think they are a bit vulnerable. They're still growing up on the, on that front seven and you have that opportunity. You've got an experienced offensive line. If you can get that running game sort of more in sync than it was last week, if, if Devin Ford can make a big leap from, from week one to week two, cause well, I mean, let's be honest, preparing as the starter is very different than preparing as the backup. And that's kind of how you, you know, you, you need to sort of fall back into that and hope that he can make those strides. Kevon Lee, I think can play a big role in terms of getting carries. I mean, we've seen in the past um, that sort of big back mentality that they can carry and get chunks rather than get the the home run every, you know, have the opportunity to get the home run every play. I think you've got an opportunity to do that. But yeah, I mean, if you turn the ball over, if you have these these sort of careless penalties that we've seen and, you know, you're jumping offside, I mean, just free yards, uh, free uh, free scores essentially with turnovers and uh this is a team that will make you pay for that so absolutely we start with the simplest one but you know the simplest one here is is the most important the spot here and patrick referenced this the running back room at ohio state looks a lot different because jk dobbins is not there and there are questions about what those guys can accomplish teague sermon They've shown flashes in the past. Haven't seen that happen yet in a Buckeyes uniform um, this year for Sermon, and, and he'll certainly have his shots here. And, and, and Teague was working his way back from an injury in 2019. Um, Fields can hurt you with his feet, but I think here, you know, Jason Oway said it during our, our calls with players this week. If if they can stop the run, they can go. They can develop a pass rush and put that pressure on Justin Fields the best they can. But if they can't stop the run, then they've got to deal with two huge issues at the same time, and that's very difficult to do. J.K. Dobbins killed Penn State last year. I mean, he, 37 touches in that game. It was just uh, more of an attrition game for him than anything. But two touchdowns in, in the last matchup, two touchdowns in the 2018 matchup. He's now wearing a Baltimore Ravens uniform. Don't have to worry about him this time. And I feel like, to your point, um, you know, what, what we talk about what Penn State can do establishing the run. Can you prevent Ohio State from getting that aspect of its game going? Because then I think that increases your opportunity to kind of cast a net around Justin Fields. But if they're gashing you, if they're setting themselves up uh, for even second and fours and third and twos over the course of this game, when they run into those uh, third downs, uh, that's that's a recipe for disaster. I think it's very important for Penn State to be able to generate that run stop. Um, and, and that, that's going to put the spotlight on these linebackers, of course, because Lance Dixon stepping up into a starting role, we would imagine with Jesse Lucetta out until the third quarter because of that targeting penalty in week one, 
Brandon Smith didn't see nearly as much of him in week one as we thought we would. Um, he didn't register a, a stat in week one. It was, it was, it was that much of a, of a presence on the field. And then Elvis Brooks, a uh, major pressure, not just as a, as the middle linebacker for this group, but he's got to be the leader of this linebacker unit with your team captain, Jesse Lucetta, uh, not available to begin with. So, uh, that front seven, uh, you know, I think there, there's the experience in that front four right now. And, and you really were excited and encouraged about the way Jason Oway's season got going and, and what we heard this week from John Scott Jr., the defensive line coach. But that linebacker spot, I think you can circle the whole unit. But to me, it really comes down to those former 24-7 sports five stars who signed with you in the 2019 class. Lance Dixon, Brandon Smith. I feel like they're either going to be on on skates this game or they're going to make statements. I think that's a, that's a fair statement to make. Um, my thing here is I look at the, the middle three right up in the front seven. I look at the defensive tackles and Ellis Brooks as very, very important parts of this because, you know, you mentioned starting the run, you, or excuse me, stopping the run, um, is obviously huge, but Justin Fields was able to get out and, and he will do some design quarterback stuff, but they want to try and keep him away from that. So it's kind of like, you know, you got to keep him in front of you. And, and really when he hurts you last year in Columbus, uh, sort of things breaking down and he could just take off and the front of that pocket, you know, that, that pass rush floor that you need in front of him to get in his way to, you know, get in his sight lines and things like that would just fall out and he would take off. And that's to me, uh, huge for those defensive tackles. And then Ellis Brooks. I mean, this is, uh, this is quite a, uh, quite a stage for his second start. I mean, it's not going to be, uh, not going to be a cakewalk by any stretch. He's got to be versatile. He's got to be flying around. And, and I'm curious to see what type of linebacker pressure, uh, that Brent Pry is going to be able to try and bring with these guys. He tried to do it last week and they, they had some success with it. I, I don't think, um, necessarily sacks are going to be something that are, you know, uh, easy to come by this week, but containment. You have it written here. Containment is key. I mean, that's that's going to be the thing. Just keeping Justin Fields around. Now, he can throw on the run. He can throw from the pocket. He can do pretty much anything back there. But just make it a little bit tougher on him each play and, and you know, maybe knock him around a little bit, see what you can do. He got banged up in the in the game at Columbus last year. Um, so you have an opportunity to try and get to him. I think this Buckeye offensive line is very good. Uh, what Wyatt Davis, uh, the offensive guard, one of the top probably three offensive linemen in the country. Um, so that's going to be an issue for those uh, defensive tackles. But to me, the, those three guys right in the middle are just absolutely paramount in terms of what Penn State is trying to do to dictate things on the defensive side of the ball because it's going to be very hard to do that with all the talent that Ohio State has on the offensive side of the ball. Even against a team like Ohio State and the, the caliber of talent they have across the, the entire roster and the top of their depth chart, I still like Penn State's speed off the edge uh, in this game. But this isn't a game where you pin your ears back and go vertical in the pass rush. Uh, and and jo- we heard a lot of complimentary things about Justin Fields from Penn State coaches and Penn State players throughout this week, as you would anticipate coming off a twenty of twenty one performance and and also doing damage with his legs in the opener, as you'd expect. But no one sounded more respectful of Justin Fields than John Scott Jr., the defensive line coach, because he knows what a task this is and he knows how important. The integrity of his defensive lineman is, whether it's the, the run lanes or the pass rush, because it's not about just getting to field. You got to bring him down. He's a bigger guy. He can move. He's got that four, four, low, uh, high four, three speed. Uh, and, and, and he's not easy to bring down once you get to him. I mean, that's something that, that he referenced as well. He can throw on the run. Like you said, it, it's just such a weapon. It kind of is exactly what you look for in the modern day quarterback. And, uh, Penn State has its hands full here because containment is key. I, I mean, it, the sacks are great. You can pile up the sacks. That means you're doing something right. But to me, it, it's more so about limiting 
the nine yard run on a third and seven to maybe a three or four yard gain because that's where I think Justin Fields really breaks your back. And that's where Ohio State extends drives. Your coverage downfield could be great. Uh, the first, second, even third read might not be there for Fields, but what he does so well is he, he, he recognizes that he tucks the ball, he finds a run lane. And he'll move and he'll get that first down in a hurry. And, and that's what we saw last year when Penn State was trying to mount its comeback or early on in the game. It looked like the coverage was great. It looked like the defense was where it needed to be. But he beat you with that ability. This is the matchup where you're thinking, man, it would be great to have Micah Parsons on the field. But only so many times we can keep hammering that home. Right now, uh, I, I don't know who that guy can be to, to kind of nullify the, the presence that Fields provides. For, but for me, that's the story of this game. And I think that's where this game will be determined if Penn State can, can stick it out and, and really you know, survive this one and keep it in the balance late into the game is can they prevent Justin Fields from picking up the, the 10, 11 yards he needs on third and long uh, rather than getting him, you know, down the field three, four yards on those runs. That to me is ultimately going to be where the balance of this contest uh, flips, and and it's also going to determine how much how many snaps your defense has seen. This was a defense that did not see many snaps over the course of that Indiana game, particularly through third quarters, three th- three quarters. So we didn't see the rotation come into play as much. We didn't see uh, as much depth being pulled in from the sidelines because those guys were pretty fresh. Fields has a way of keeping your defense on the field, extending drives. And again, just giving you those kind of disheartening moments that can affect uh, the entire team psyche. And I have a feeling that he's going to uh, complete more than 53% of his passes like Michael Penix did. And Penix was, uh, you know, erratic for the first, oh, let's see, 58 minutes of that game. Yes, and he was. then it turned around and it didn't work out in the, at the end. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, it's got to, you got to keep fields in the pocket and make him throw to beat you. And he, he can throw to beat you, but, you know, it's better than, yeah, extending those drives, getting your defense on the field. I mean, that's really when Penn State has struggled a lot is when they've, you know, had to play too much, uh, too much, de- too many snaps on defense and, and the offense really couldn't get going, uh, and, and get those first downs on the other side. So we will see what happens with there. Another big matchup, obviously, uh, Ohio State's receivers, very good. Uh, Chris Olave is, is listed as available. He took a scary hit against Nebraska last week and, you know, you kind of thought that he might not be around. And, you know, I still, part of me thinks there might be a little gamesmanship there considering how, bad that that hit looked but it seems like he's going to play Garrett Wilson might be the most important matchup here he's going to come out of the slot plays that I guess that sort of pseudo h-back role um that uh, Noah Brown played so well so many years ago um you know who 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 does Penn State put on him and that's that's my big thing and that, yeah, I see you have that written down I actually had that written down as well yeah. who's who going to play that, slot? that coverage who, who supplies that is such an x factor for me I mean you saw last week and and we've obviously gone back over at Lamont Wade in the slot playing man uh, was not great. And uh, I, I'll be interested to see how Penn State tries to attack it. I thought, you know, you put those safeties back in that traditional two deep uh, set and and have them do some things. And, and they were, you know, pretty solid against Indiana. But then once you change things up, you brought some other guys in. To me, I, I look at a guy like Marquise Wilson, and I think he could be a you know, a big factor in this game in terms of covering that slot and, you know, trying to move him around a little bit. And, uh, you know, he can play the inside, play the outside, but we, we've seen him in the takeaway role and he's done some good things. And that's really what you're going to need. You're obviously going to win and need to win the turnover battle. And you need guys like Marquise Wilson that have been so good at finding the ball to go out there and, and get it done. So, I mean, I'm not sure if there's any changes in order, but, you know, if I'm, if, if I'm honest, I would, I would love to see Marquise Wilson in that nickel role and, and take those safeties back deep and, 
you know, try and keep everything in front of you because we've seen in the past with Ohio State, it's not always the deep ball that's going to get you. You know, it's some of those uh, things that you, you know, keep in front of you and then, and then all of a sudden there's a, t- a tackle broken here or there. Well, you keep the safeties back there, you've got an advantage. So um, I don't know that there's a right way to uh, to defend this offensive attack. They're very talented in a lot of different spots. Even their their young kids are very talented. But uh, yeah, you got to keep those things in front of you and, avo- you know, uh, avoid the big play as long as you can. I think they will get their yards. I think they will get some first downs, but uh, you've got a shot. You know, if you keep the if you keep that in front of you and you, you get a takeaway here or there, anything can happen, really. No disrespect to Wap Fillior, who came up big in that Indiana game when it mattered most, but Garrett Wilson is a different breed right now, and and he's he's a guy who they they just said. Let's try him in the slot. Let's see what this does for the rest of our offense. And, and it, it worked out quite well for them against Nebraska. He had a touchdown. Uh, he had a big uh, fourth down conversion play. There's a lot of trust already in place between him and Justin Fields. And, and yeah, I, the names I think of are, are those two young cornerbacks, Keaton Ellis and, and Marquise Wilson. We've heard about Daquan Hardy doing good things, but, um, you know, that, that might be a, a physical mismatch that concerns you. This is a former five star player, a very athletic, uh, player that, 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 Man, he can just attack you in a lot of ways uh, with that two-way go out of the slot. And I think for me, Marquise Wilson is is you know everything we hear about his mentality. He's kind of built for a game like this. You know, he I, he's he's the kid who you put on the field doesn't really matter the situation, doesn't matter who he's going up against. He's going to bring that kind of juice, that kind of confidence to the field. We. It didn't see him as extensively. We didn't see Keaton Ellis at all on defense in week one. You wonder if either of those things change. But I will say if there's a, a spot in the field where you say Penn State, it clearly has seemed to fortify itself or improved itself from that 2019 matchup when Chris Olave caught a big touchdown to, to seal the game in the fourth quarter and Fields was able to complete some really nice balls to, to his receiving group and, and one of the best in the country across the board at that position for the Buckeyes cornerback I mean that that last year you had a banged up Tariq Castro Fields that might be putting it lightly because he didn't even play the next week he was sidelined with an injury you had uh you know two true freshmen out there playing a lot Marquise Wilson Keaton Ellis they're both a year older now more experienced and you had Trent Gordon who's now at safety playing a lot of cornerback and coverage back there for you you didn't have Joey Porter Jr and if what we saw in week one and what we've heard about this kid throughout preseason I, you know, you'd feel like that's an upgrade for you at Penn State. That's going to be important because I think if you can, you're not going to put the clamps on these guys. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to shut these guys down. But if you can contest the passes, if you can use that length to, to narrow the, the passing window for fields, because he is very accurate in finding these guys, especially on these sideline routes, I find. If you can just narrow those windows and, and, and help your percentage in these completion, uh, in the completion rate, that's going to force more third and longs. That's going to, to get your defense off the football field. I think they're better equipped to do that from the cornerback spot. Uh, this t- to me also though seems like a major test for the safeties group. Is this safeties group really ready to take that step? The Brisker Wade combination that, that we said, you know, that, that's, that's a, that's a pretty good duo coming into the season. Um, I, I think leaning too heavily on Wade and pass coverage here is, it could be a slippery slope against this Ohio State squad. But Jaquan Brisker, this is a moment for him. You know, Terry Smith went so far to say he'd be a household name after game one. And you know, if he was, it was because he was posterized at the end or he was he was part of that play. It wasn't because of, of, of major plays that he made on the field. This would be a great coming out moment for him. And that's where I look at on defense who's ready to who's ready to prove that they're the game changer, that dynamic playmaker. 
Cause, cause, uh, you know, I think maybe Jason away could be in that spot this year, uh, this game, but I think it would be even more beneficial for this defense if it's one of those defensive backs, whether it's forcing a turnover or, 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 or just essentially bottling up their guy the best they can. Just too many downfield weapons, uh, to be sporadic in the secondary over the course of this game. You have to be tight for all fourth quarters because you will get beat and it will be ugly and it will be on national TV and it could really uh, blow the doors off this game. You could look for a uh, Garrett Sickles-like performance from Jesse Lucchetta, too, since he's suspended for the first half. That was obviously uh, – I think it'll be interesting to see how much they need him at that point because he's more of a run defender. Uh, where Where is the game at in that in that perspective? So you got to keep that close in the first half. Flip that to the other side. You got to find an offensive breakout playmaker guy game changer out there obviously Jahan Dotson got the big uh the big touchdown last uh last week against Indiana but you know you need a little bit more from your wide receivers you need those uh running backs to grow up in a hurry and you need Pat Fryermuth to come up and be that that all-american that we that we believe he is uh last year Ohio State put Pete Werner on him had you know a decent amount of success sort of playing over the top of him and and underneath so I, I expect to see a lot of attention paid to Pat once again I think what's interesting is is you take a look at this Ohio State defense, you take a look at what Sean Clifford has done in the past, and you would think that maybe given his propensity for maybe getting a little, you know, run happy in the in the pocket, they would send waves of blitzes and things at him. To me, I, I think it's kind of the opposite. I think you can rush four. Um, you know, will you get there? Maybe, maybe not, probably not. Um, but you know, you let Clifford do that in his own head. You drop seven and then you make him throw into that zone. And that's something that he's struggled with in the past. So I think that that's probably, I think that's, that's what we're more likely to see this week. And to be honest, that's probably how I would defend him based on what we've seen. But I don't know that the, the heavy pressure is going to come, but it's got to be on Sean Clifford to sort of, uh, you know, fix that mental clock, keep his feet uh, underneath of him and keep from panicking. And then when he does, you know, scramble in the right direction, find his receivers. And, and you know, he, he was actually pretty accurate on the run last week. So um, I'm very curious to see what this matchup looks like with Ohio State's just entire defense against Sean Clifford. Because, you know, if you're going to win this game, Clifford's got to go out and, and win it for you. And from what we saw in week one, do you have the confidence that that's going to happen? Patrick really indicated that Clifford uh, could do some damage with his legs. Maybe that's a spot where Ohio State is not up to par right now in, in, in covering quarterback runs, but uh, I don't think that's the road to success for this Penn State offense is leaning on, on Clifford's rushing ability. I think that's going to be important, like I said, with Fields. If you can convert some third downs, if things break down uh, and, and guys aren't open downfield for you, you use your legs to go move the chains. That's important. But I, I think, I think, you know, first down runs from Clifford, I, that doesn't really do it for, for you. I don't think over the course of this game, who is going to be that breakout guy? It's a tough ask to do it under the lights, um, in a very strange setting at Beaver Stadium against this Ohio State squad. But someone on offense, if you truly want to go out and win this game, put yourself in a spot where this is hanging in the balance in the final minutes. We've got to learn about a breakout on the offensive side of the football. I'm putting Jahan Dotson and Pat Fryermuth over on the side here because they they are proven commodities. I think we can expect them to make some key plays, but it's got to be one of these guys that we're not quite there yet with, whether it's one of the freshman wide receivers, a Parker Washington or Keandre Lambert coming up with a huge play. Um, remember just a couple of years ago, KJ Hamler really introduced himself to a lot of people at the national level with that huge touchdown reception in the first half against Ohio State as a redshirt freshman. Can someone deliver a moment up something like that not necessarily 93 yard touchdown but can someone put together some, some big plays uh make some defenders miss create some buzz uh, and and generate some action for your that, that ohio state needs to pay def- attention to defensively
defensively. I think the the obvious guy to go through here would be a perfect breakout candidate if he can pull it off as Devin Ford. But uh, you know, we have a lot to learn about Devin, and 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 he's a guy that that everyone's been very cautious, careful to tell you that he's prepared for this moment. Uh, he's ready to take on uh, this task as as your feature back, but. I continue to think maybe Kevon Lee is the right man. Um, again, welcome to college football. Here's the ball. Run with it against Ohio State in, in week number two, the number three team in the country. But you may have to do that with Kevon Lee because I, I think the ball control is so important here. The ability to, to maintain possession, the ability to keep Justin Fields watching the football game rather than impacting the football game. To me, Lee is the obvious kind of uh, the, the guy who can push through the defense, the guy who can who can move the chains a bit more consistently than what we've seen from Devin Ford to this point. Doesn't mean Devin Ford can't come up with big plays and, and maybe get on the perimeter, get to the edge, and maybe make a man miss with those uh, with with a cut. Keziah Holmes, you know, maybe he's someone who can generate something. But to me, I really look at those three freshmen as, as guys who could be maybe maybe just tip the scales in Penn State's favor more than anyone anticipates. Keandre Lambert Smith. Parker Washington, Kevon Lee. Those are kind of the three I'm spotlighting. We'll see if you get Cam Sullivan Brown back. I think that would be nice to do. We still don't know why he missed that opener. We, we know it wasn't COVID related. James Franklin told us that, but, uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of room for anyone to step up and, and you just wonder if it's going to be who's, who it's going to be. And I, and I think if we don't come out of this game and say this guy really stepped up as a breakout performer tonight, that's going to be pretty disastrous for Penn State's offense because they just don't have right now uh, the the lengthy list that Ohio State has, particularly in the passing game of guys who are going to affect the game consistently and and in a in an explosive way. And there's levels to what a breakout performer really means. I mean, you mentioned Cam Sullivan Brown. A breakout for him might be four catches for 44 yards or something like that and move the chain a couple of times. Kevon Lee might, he's not going to rush for a hundred yards, but you know, you can get uh, 50 yards out of him, you know, move those chains, get suck some of that time off. So I, I mean, Lambert and Lambert Smith might only be one play. It might just be a big gainer where, where, where he shows off that elusiveness in the open field and, and picks up a huge shrunk or gets and finds his way to the end zone. Breakout performance doesn't mean 10 catches for 200 yards. It might mean one huge catch in a pivotal moment for 60 70 yards um you know like you said there's varying degrees of of kind of what would what would turn that but it's just got to be someone stepping up that we don't really know about them yet uh, at a national level and we don't really know about them under the lights at this point you're right they could use kj back out there you're, you're exactly right but uh, <laughs> no i mean and, and one more thing devin ford if he's gonna be um sort of a slasher elusive guy has got to do a better job of uh of making guys miss he did not do a very good job against indiana so um you know you get him get him in space he's got to make those plays and you know it's not necessarily again it's not him taking it 80 yards on a screen pass it's him you know going and and getting to the chains and maybe getting out of bounds or something like that so i think that's what you got to do I, I i'm not i'm not a proponent of clamming up or shelling up but take you know take care of the football and, and keep that football as long as you can now time of possession was not an issue against indiana last week it's just execution and, and finishing so we will see um you know where that is come saturday night because you know there there is i think I don't know that there's a blueprint to beating this Ohio State team, but it's early in the season for them too. They're going to have some some missteps. They're going to have some some guys that are growing up, and, and we mentioned on the front seven, especially you've got uh, it's more the front four that they got a couple senior linebackers there. But you know that that front four, you know you you kind of try and take it to them a little bit and see what can happen. That's what Nebraska did early, and they had some success. So Penn State's got to follow that blueprint as quick as closely as possible and just. Keep keep hold of the football, man. That's uh, so key in this game. And whether it turns into a 20-point game or a, a two-point game, I mean, those, those turnovers are going to uh, tip the balance here. 
Patrick mentioned this before. Is it human nature for Ohio State to approach this Penn State game a little bit differently than it has in years past? Coming off of a loss at Indiana, crossing off some of those star names across the field, might it take a little while for them to get that jolt and realize, okay, Penn State's bringing something to the field. We need to respond now. Or will Ohio State be ready right off of kickoff? It's a question that maybe didn't exist the last few years in this matchup that that may be present this time around, uh, particularly when you're not dealing with the whiteout crowd that's going to get people going on both sidelines. Um, the one last thing here I wanted to note, offensive line. You talked about their performance against Indiana um, on, on our first podcast of the week. This has been a significant deficit in the matchup of late, I think, whether Penn State was trying to put games away late or establish themselves early. The offensive line has had issues against Ohio State. It helps right off the bat to not have Chase Young in a three-point stance across the field. That's a nice start. Usually does, yes. But, <laughs> but what do you think about this offensive line for Penn State, the the moment that it could seize, and and really the uh, you know what's at stake if it doesn't? Well, I liked what, what Penn State did last week in, in terms of playing the extra offensive lineman. Uh, Will Fries, by the way, had a really good game against Indiana. If they can get some, something like that against Ohio State. Now, I do, you know, not to throw anybody under the bus from last year, but you know, he obviously could have used help. That was, you know, obvious to anybody watching. Chase Young's going to do that to a lot of people, but, you know, especially to Will Fries. Um, so I, I think that Penn State will approach this in a situation or in a, in a, in a method in which they do bring that off extra offensive lineman. And it's, it's sort of like the, the approach that I would have taken or that Sharaka took last year with Minnesota against Penn State, sort of slow down that front four and try and dictate that with, with that talented group and, you know, throw an extra offensive lineman in there, play a lot of 12 personnel, move those guys around. Around, move Pat uh, Fryermuth around on the field, and you know you got an opportunity to sort of move the chains that way. So I think that's what we'll see. And you know it, it's it's a year too late to to help Will Fries against Chase Young, but you know if he plays anything like he did last week, you know that's that's certainly a big step forward. Now it, it's on the group uh, as a whole. I mean, you look at. You look at what they did and you can, you know, we, we criticized them after the game. Then I went back and took a look and said, okay, maybe it wasn't as bad as it was, but they're going to play it as, as a complete unit. I mean, they're, they're blocking, you know, they're, they're zone blocking to the right. All five of those guys or maybe six of those guys are going to the right. It's not a situation where you saw a ton of chasing blocks, which is something we saw over the last couple of years where you've got assignments and you miss a guy and he runs right past you and you, you know, lunge at him or whatever. This is a group that's sort of trying to be that road grader. Uh, more of a snowplow than a road grader, to be honest with you. I mean, we're in Pennsylvania, so we, we see more snowplows here. But, uh, you know, just kind of driving those guys off to the side, creating a crease and, and trying to make that running back get through that crease. And now, again, that goes back to what I said about Devin Ford. He's got to be more elusive. He's got to be able to break some of those tackles. And if he can't do that, uh, they had quite a, quite a bit of success with Keevon Lee. So I want to see this offensive lineman, five or six of them moving it, moving as one. And that's sort of the recipe to, to try and get it done. And when you're going against a young front, it's a ton of talent on that front four, but not a ton of experience because they lost a bunch of guys to the NFL. You can, you can have that opportunity to sort of confuse them and get, get in their way and sort of have each other on that defense get in their way. And then all of a sudden, you know, maybe you pop a big run. And that's, uh, that's really what I want to see from this offensive line. And again, it, I hate going back to it every time. It's got to be on Clifford. It's got it, you know, that, that pass protection, um, you know, was, was pretty decent last week. And I think it can be decent again this week. But if he gets that mental clock and starts bailing on those plays, that's, uh, that's a recipe for trouble. Clifford, confident as ever this week, said he didn't come to Penn State to hang with Ohio State. He came to Penn State to beat Ohio State. I think he knows he's the guy 
with the bullseye on his back from both sides of the football field here uh, as the guy who needs to get it done one way or the other. Um, we'll find out a lot about Sean Clifford's status as Penn State's quarterback and, and where his development is. We'll learn a lot about where Ohio State's defense is as well because this is not the same Buckeyes defense Penn State faced last year when they were in a tremendous rhythm, leading the nation in points per game. Uh, some issues a bit against Nebraska, um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're still finding their way with new pieces, new components, and, and some of that star power uh, removed. There are new stars in the rise for them, but this you're hitting a different-looking Buckeyes defense than what you encountered last year. Uh, with all that said, and there was a lot said between myself, Sean, and Patrick about this matchup, uh, it's prediction time, Sean. Um, and folks, buckle up. I think I had the biggest disparity, uh, def- definitely between Mark, uh, you, and myself. Uh, I had 44-24. Um, I think this Ohio State team is is playoff bound. I think they're really good. And, you know, I think that Penn State can hang with them for a while. But sort of the thing that we talked about with uh, with Zach Osterman last week on the podcast is, does Penn State have the depth to uh, to stick with them for fourth qu- four quarters? I don't know. Um, with the opt-outs, with the injuries and things like that, those are things that can add up. So um, not entirely confident. I mean, I think that there is a blueprint to beating this Ohio State team. I don't know that Penn State's got the horses for it uh, just at this point in the season. Yeah, we landed in the same spot for Penn State with 24 points. I've got Ohio State not quite putting it to the the Nittany Lions as much as you do. 35-24 is where I landed. I, I could see a kind of a similar um, game playing out to last year. Not so much as Penn State being buried in a 21 nothing hole, but more so Penn State, you know, putting themselves in a position where you go into the fourth quarter and you think if they can come up with a play or two, get a stop or two, all of a sudden you get a shot to win this game. But Ohio State's able to, to cushion that a little bit. And, uh, I just think ultimately, they're, they're outmanned. I mean, they're, they're, you know, the recruiting ability of Ohio State is, is just so consistent. They, the way they replenish the roster, but I just think you have to account for Penn State not having, in my opinion, three of the top 10 players on their roster that we thought they would have for this game. I'm very high on Noah Kane. Uh, obviously, everyone knows what Journey Brown can do, and, and he flashed that against Ohio State last year. And there's just no, there's just no way to get around the fact that missing Micah Parsons against an offense like this and a quarterback like Justin Fields, it digs your hole deeper. And, and, and going into this matchup, Ohio State, regardless, was going to be the favorite, I think. Maybe a slight favorite, not the 11.5, 12-point favorite we see right now. I land right around that line, I guess, uh, 35-24. I think people will feel better about Penn State. I think it'll be a bounce-back performance compared to what we saw cleaning up some things. But I don't think they put together the near-perfection kind of game that is required without those stars to get the job done against Ohio State. You know, Again, I think... You'll see a better looking Penn State team overall versus Indiana, but that won't make the 0-2 pill, you know, any less difficult to swallow for, for fans out there and, uh, with seven games left on the schedule. And, and Penn State and James Franklin have played Ohio State better than anybody. So, I mean, I could certainly see them keeping it close and that's got to be sort of the formula when you talk to, to coaches, when they, when they deal with as underdogs, you, you know, you keep it close through the third quarter and then you get in the fourth and anything can happen. I think that's got to be one of these games. Uh, unfortunately for Penn State, you you look at 2020 and everything that could go wrong. I mean, you lose your whiteout atmosphere. You you lose that big game. You know the crowd behind you. You lose two of your top. You know, you, well, essentially your top, uh, definitely your top defensive player. Essentially your top offensive player. And then on top of that, the guy that backed up the top offensive player. So it, it's crazy how when you lose your best guy on each side of the ball, your team might not be as good. So um, still think it's a talented roster. 
don't know that, you know, that, that takes away some of the depth, that takes away some of the talent. And that's, uh, that's just unfortunate when you're trying to match up with a program that has done as well as they do stockpiling talent, re- reloading and restocking talent. And, you know, that, that talent gap has showed up. I think we'll get a pretty good feel about the identity of this Penn State program coming off of such a, a, an emotional loss and what has been an emotional span of months uh, for everyone across college football, but certainly here in Happy Valley as well with some of the losses. We're going to learn a lot about them early in this game, and, and I think the body language will be something to watch. Um, and, and I think in general, um, you know, I, we're going to see a Penn State team that fights, but I just, I just don't know that that's enough against Ohio State in this particular matchup. Uh, Mark Brennan, by the way, right at 24 for Penn State as well and, and close on my score. He's got 34-24. Um, so strangely enough, we all have Penn State scoring 24 points and, and that's not going to be enough to win this game. None of us think. Um, quick five-star mailback question because we have a quick answer for it. We, we, we are addressing this one. We didn't really want to get back to Indiana game, but we had multiple questions about this in the mailbag about why didn't Penn State go for two or should they have gone for two after Devin Ford's ill-advised touchdown? A, a two-point conversion would have put Penn State up by nine points uh, with, with you know a minute and a half remaining in the game versus the eight-point advantage that, that ultimately wasn't enough to win the contest. Sean, my quick answer is no. You don't leave yourself a, a, an open door to lose the game in regulation. You already cost yourselves big by getting into the end zone in that spot. You take the extra point. You take the eight-point advantage. You've already seen how your defense played the previous series, getting after Michael Penix. Penix wasn't on point for, for the entire contest. I think you take your shot uh, and, and prevent them from scoring not just a touchdown, but also converting a two-point conversion. My other thing to add to that is, how do we know Tom Allen, who went for a two-point conversion in the first overtime when he certainly did not need to, how do we know that if you don't get the two-point conversion and you're up by seven, that Tom Allen doesn't say, hell, let's go for the win in regulation? There's a handful of decisions that you can criticize for for Franklin in that in, I guess late in that game essentially, um, but I don't think that's one of them. I think you kick, you kick the extra point, you make it eight, you make them take it seventy five yards to beat you, and then you don't have a chance to lose the game if you're only up seven. I, and I agree with you. I think Tom Allen would have gone for two if he if they would have scored. So um, I, I just uh, of all the decisions to to wring your hands over and in hindsight plays a lot into this one. Nah, it's not one of them. You kick the extra point, you go up by eight and, you know, obviously you don't want to score that touchdown to begin with, but you kick the extra point, you go up by eight and, and you put it on your defense and unfortunately did not work out. Now we're done talking about the Indiana game. Now we got the <laughs> flush it. Like yeah, Pat Fryermuth said a couple of times after the game, just flush it. And that's, uh, that's great advice for that game because that was, uh, uh, yeah, we're done talking about it. We're done talking. That was great advice for that game. All right. Ohio State in the spotlight on Saturday. Whatever happens, we will be back with you for a post game podcast. It will be very late into the evening, maybe early into the morning on Sunday because 730 kickoff time. Mark Brennan and myself will be in the press box. Uh, going to be a very different situation than we've ever encountered in Beaver Stadium. We'll be sure to share updates before the game, during the game and, uh, give you a feel for what the stadium is looking like. Um, on Halloween evening. For now, stepping aside, thank you to Sean. Big thanks to Patrick Murphy. And I'm Tyler Donahue. We'll talk to you soon on the Lions 24-7 podcast.